Take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 is what we're going to be dealing with this morning as we consider God's Word. I uh, hope that you have had a, a wonderful weekend so far. Uh, I have had a, a great time to, uh, to be with my family this weekend. I always look forward to uh, the weekends because it's the time that I can really spend the most time uh, with my family. And uh, I, I love my family, and so you are just kind of stuck this morning getting to hear a little bit about them because I just want to share a little bit about my family and just kind of the love and joy I have uh, with being with them. Uh, normally, you know, I get up early in the mornings and I, I'm, I'm off to work and everything, so I don't get to spend a whole lot of time uh, with my family. But on the weekends, I, uh, I usually lay in bed uh, until one of my favorite things uh, happens. I have two normal favorite things that happen on, on the weekends. And, and the first one uh, is when Caleb cries out to me. I'm laying in bed, just, just waiting, and inevitably, every morning, he'll cry out, Daddy, come get me. And he is there waiting in bed for me to come and get him. And it's, it's one of the sweetest moments that I have as a dad, just waiting for that to come. And every morning, Daddy, come get me. Uh, and so that, that's, that's one of my favorite moments uh, as a dad. And on the weekends, we usually spend time together. We, uh, we may go out and do something, or I may work on some projects around the house. We may, uh, we may play together in Caleb's room and do some things. Uh, but, but that is our time that we have together. Uh, so that, that's my first favorite thing uh, that happens on the weekends uh, when I'm with my family. My, my second favorite thing uh, on the weekends, you know, Friday and Saturday night, when we put Caleb to bed. Because <laughs> he's as much fun as I have with him. He's still two and can be challenging at times. But the real reason is because that's when I really give, get to have time with Jen, just me and her. You know, that's where we can sit, we can talk, uh, we can watch TV, we can, we can do whatever. It's just us during that time. And, and I know that you would say the exact same thing, that you love your family that your family is a priority to you. And, and with me, my family comes second only to God. I love my family. I'm devoted to my family. I'll give everything to my family. I'll serve my family. I'll die for my family if need be. And I know most of you would say the exact same thing. But what I want us to think about this morning is that not only has God granted us a physical family, but if we're believers, God has brought us into a spiritual family. And, and the same kind of love and devotion that we have for our physical families, God has called us to have a similar kind of love and devotion toward our spiritual families. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. What does it mean for us to be a faith family together? You see, when we look at the New Testament, we see over and over again us being described as family. We're described as the household of God several times. Todd read one of those passages this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, at, at the end of this great statement about how Paul has said, you're dead in your trespass and sin, but God has raised you up. He has seated you with him in the heavenly places. And by grace through faith you're saved, not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. At the end of all this great statement about our salvation, Paul says that you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're of God's household. You've been brought together in God's house. 
Paul says elsewhere, you are the household of the faith. 1 Timothy 3.15, he's writing about his whole purpose in writing the letter to Timothy. And he says, I'm writing this so you'll know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. This whole letter about how you can conduct yourself in this faith family that God has granted you. Other places all throughout the New Testament are described as children of God. Galatians 3.26, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ or daughters. Galatians 4.7, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. If you're a son, you are an heir through God. You know what Paul's most common way for describing us? Brothers or sisters. All throughout, all throughout the New Testament, we are described in terms that go back to us being a family. And if we are Christians, we've been brought into a spiritual family. And if we are members of this body, we've been brought together into a family that meets at this building. We're family. And so this morning, I want us to see that just as there are certain privileges and responsibilities that come with being part of a physical family, there are certain privileges and responsibilities that come with being part of a faith family that God has brought us into. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19, is where we're going to be considering this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you remember uh, about the, this letter to, uh, to Hebrews, this is written to a church that's undergoing some persecution. It's a church that some of the people in it are starting to scatter. They're facing persecution, and people in this faith family are, are starting to leave because of that persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews is reminding them what they've been called into as sons and daughters of God, and he is telling them to stay in this faith family that God has brought them into. And so I want you to notice just the context that the writer has here and how he returns the idea to being part of a household of God and the responsibilities that come with that. It says what? Therefore what? Very first verse, verse 19. Therefore what? Brothers. Therefore brothers and sisters, since you are part of this faith family. In verse uh, 21, what does he say? We have a great priest over what? The household of God. God has brought us, brothers and sisters, together into the household of God. And so now he's telling us, here are the responsibilities that you have. And so he breaks it down into two different groups. Responsibilities that we have toward God and then responsibilities that we have toward one another. And so here are the responsibilities that you have toward God. Verse, um, verse 22, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us hold fast confession of our hope without wavering. These are responsibilities he said. These are things that you need to do in your relationship with God. But then he lists out some responsibilities that people in this faith family, in this church, have toward one another. And in verse 24 and 25, 
we're going to see what those responsibilities are that you and I have toward one another as members of a faith family. So this morning, let's see, let's consider what are the responsibilities that the writer of Hebrews lays out that we have toward one another. First of all, we're going to see that we have the responsibility to be together. Listen to verse 24 and 25 again. The writer says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He tells us there that we're to encourage one another, but I want you to notice that that is predicated. It's built upon the truth that we have to be together or to assemble ourselves together. If we're not together, then we can't do what he says there to encourage and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. As I want us to first deal with the idea that we have, to, we have the responsibility to be together if we are part of a faith family. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, I think, obviously, the opposite is true on there. If he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, he means actually assemble yourselves together. You need to actually be together. And so in the context, I think that he's, one thing that he's dealing with here is that, obviously, this refers to corporate worship. He says, don't forsake gathering yourselves together for corporate worship. This, this is a must if you're a part of a faith family. But I think, I think the writer of Hebrews intends for us to go beyond that. I think that he means more than just that time that we gather together for worship. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I think the writer of Hebrews had more in mind than just the Sunday time of corporate worship because of what we see happening all the rest of the churches in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 describes the early church. This is what happens after 3,000 people have been saved, after Pentecost, how God is doing work in that early church. Let's see how this early church lived out their lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. If we look at that, we see the early church was constantly together. They were studying together, they were fellowshipping together, they were breaking bread together, they were praying together, day by day going to the temple together, going from house to house eating together, serving together with gladness and heart. You see how they were constantly together here? Well, this is, this is the picture that we get in the New Testament of the church. This is, the, this is kind of the ideal for the church. Even in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3.13 says, the writer says, encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called a day. Most commentators look at that and say, well, the reason the writer says that is because the church was meeting together every day. They were regularly gathering together day by day. And so he's saying, hey, encourage one another as long as the day is today. So the writer of Hebrews says, don't 
forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is one thing that you've been called to. Now, I think there's a word of caution uh, that we need to, to give right here. I, th- I think that it would be easy for us to, to err in, on the side of legalism with this because one thing we, we notice here is that the, the writer doesn't say exactly how often this is supposed to happen. And so this would be a real easy place for a pastor to get up here and say, every time the doors are open, you better be here. Five nights a week, this is your home. But I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews is exactly saying. There's a, there's a little girl here at church uh, who, when, when we were building this, I think, she said that this is where uh, Caleb's daddy and Todd's daddy live. I don't, think, I don't think we have to be in a building like this so often that it's considered actually our home that we live here in this building. But I think the writer of Hebrews is getting, getting at something that we need to understand. I want to share with you just a quote from a professor I had. He's one of the foremost scholars on the book of Hebrews. Uh, He said, We as Christian leaders must not burden people with a guilt trip if they are not at the church five nights a week. And here's the key. The question is whether they are meaningfully engaged in the life of the body on a weekly basis. And so I think what the writer of Hebrews is getting at here is that being part of a family means that we're in each other's lives. You know, every day, I, I'm in the life of Jen and Caleb because they're my family. And it's not like I'm just sitting there unengaged with them while they're doing stuff around me. I'm there in their lives. We're talking. We're engaged. We're living out life together as a family. And I think that the writer of Hebrews is kind of getting at that. How much of a relationship would I have with my family if I only interacted with them once a month? Or if I just sat there like a lump on a log and never talked with them. He's pointing to us to the idea of being meaningfully engaged in each other's lives. I spoke with someone once who, uh, who attended Grace for a while. And, uh, and this person uh, came up to me and said, you know, I, I just haven't felt like I'm really a part of this church. And so I started asking a few questions just to kind of get to the bottom of what's going on. And, and uh, I said, well, how often, how often are you here? Said, well, you know, you, know, you know, once a month or, or so. Well, well, tell me, when you're here, do you, do you spend a lot of time before and after the service really getting to talk to people? No, no, I, we, we kind of come in, get our seat, and after it's over, go on home. You know, we need, we need to get on home. I said, well, what about a small group? Have you gotten involved in a Sunday school class, you know, because see where you can really develop some relationships? No, no, we haven't. I haven't really done that. And I said, well, what do you expect? If you're not with your family, how can you know your family? We have been brought together by God into our physical families, and we've been brought together by God into a faith family. It is a faith family that God says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so I, I want us to think just a bit about what is practical outworking of this? What does it mean to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Well, I think obviously the first non-negotiable of this is that we have to be regularly together in worship. I think Scripture is absolutely clear that if you are a part of the body of Christ, you have been called, you have been brought together into his body, and you need to be worshiping together with the body. That's a non-negotiable. 
that if it's the Lord's day and less providentially hindered, I think that it's important for us to gather together for worship. I, I think it's even such a priority that you know, we don't take vacations from worship. So if Jen and I are gone on vacation, we'll try to research, is there a good church close to where we're going at the beach or wherever it might be? You know, is there a good church close to Gatlinburg that we can go worship? Because God has brought us into a faith family. If I'm not here, I'm going to go worship with the church universal, you know, somewhere. And, and I want to say this, I want to say this next statement with, with love and humility and gentleness. Because I think there might be some who fall into this category. That unless we're providentially hindered, our priority should be worshiping with the body. And I don't think that means once every month or two. I think when we look at the statement, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, we would think that means to be regularly together in worship, right? Because we're, our, we're family. We want to be together for this time. I mean, this has been a sweet time of worship this morning. I mean, has it not? Singing that one day we will rise and that we will be with all the saints, all the angels, forever crying out, worthy is the Lamb. That is an amazing, joyous thought. And it's a privilege that I've been able to be here to worship you. My family, who I will spend eternity with, forever with him. That is good. That is a good truth. And it's our responsibility to carry that out here as long as the Lord grants us life here on this earth. And so I think that, that number one, it means that responsibility to be regularly together in worship. But second, I think it also means that we need to regularly engage each other outside of this building. You know, the reality is that we don't have a lot of time here. You know, we, we may have a few minutes before Sunday school, maybe a couple minutes in between worship, and then a couple minutes after. But when we're physically in this building, how much time do we really have for close intercommunication? It, it's, it's somewhat limited. And, and so I think that not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together means that, that it needs to include engaging one another kind of in the day-to-day circumstances of life. And so I would say, do things like just spend time with one another. Get to know the members of the body. Invite somebody over for lunch, maybe that you don't know real well. Go out to coffee. Take a lunch break together. Go on a play date with your kids. Have somebody over for supper. Go to a ball game together. You know, if your neck's a little red like mine, go hunting together. I mean, there, there's a host of things that you can do together to be engaged in each other's lives. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. God has brought us together. We're family. We need interaction with one another, engagement in each other's lives. I think, I think that, it, that, it, that it goes beyond more than just spending time together, though. And let me lay out what I mean here. If you are a believer then you have gone from being dead in your sins to being raised up to being alive in Christ. You went from being an object of God's wrath to being adopted into his family. 
He is everything. He is to be everything. And so when God has brought us together, and when he has united us into a faith family, then that means that our assembling together in a faith family needs to be driven by the truth that we are his. That fellowship that we have with one another is that thing that we have in common, and it's Christ. And it's our relationship with Christ that needs to drive our time together. Even those times when we are just hanging out over coffee or lunch. And and I think what the writer says next is going to help flesh that out a little bit about what it means to be together. And so, first of all, our responsibility is to be together. Second, our responsibility is to encourage one another as members of a faith family. Look again at verse 24 and 25. Let's, Let's read it again to hear this, remembering that this is founded on us not forsaking our assembling together. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have the responsibility as members of faith family to encourage one another. And the writer here puts that in the context of saying that we are to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, as we think about what that means, I want us to stop for just a second and focus on that word consider. Because that word consider is important for understanding what comes after it. Because if we don't get what the writer says there when he says consider, we're liable to miss what it means to practice what he says next. That word consider means to pay attention to. It means to look closely at. In other words, what he says to do is going to take some intentional thought and some intentional effort. It won't be something that just happens. And so the writer of Hebrews here says that it won't just happen that you stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You need to consider, think, put intentional mental and spiritual effort into how can you stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now that word stimulate is is a good word. It's the word that's literally used elsewhere for provoke or to incite. Now what do you think of when you think of provoke or incite? You usually think of an argument, right? You think of something negative. You're going to provoke somebody to anger, incite some, you know, incite a riot. You know, that's the kind of language that's, that's usually used in, in regard to that. But what's way it's being used here is to say Think, put considerable effort, consider how you might provoke, incite your brothers and sisters in Christ to love and good deeds. Put thought and consideration into how you can do that. How you can stimulate your brothers and sisters in Christ to love and good deeds. And what's the importance of love and good deeds? What place does love good deeds have in the life of a Christian. I want you to think, just, I'm just rattle off a few scriptures here. When someone came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest uh, command? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So the law and the prophets, everything summed up in that. All right, what about uh, John 13, 35? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? 
You love one another, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Of these three, uh, of these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. So one of the most fundamental aspects of being a follower of Christ is love, right? All right, what about good deeds? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Again, this comes to that great Ephesians chapter 2 passage uh, where we're described as being dead in sins but being raised up to, to life in Christ and, and that we have been seated with him in the heavenly places and by grace through faith you've been saved. It's not of yourself. Uh, no one will boast. But then he goes into this Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in him. That God has prepared good works for us as believers to do. So basically what you have is two of the most fundamental aspects of being a follower of Christ. The writer of Hebrews is saying basically, you need one another to do those things. The most basic, fundamental things related to being a follower of Christ will work best in your life, will happen in your life best when you are in a community with other believers. Just as my family functions best when we are working together, our sanctification, our growth in Christ, will occur best when you and I are in fellowship, communion with one another in each other's lives. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. God has so designed our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ that we need each other for growth in Christ. For me to be all that God has called me to be, to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which he has called me, I need you. And you need me. God has created us as a faith family so that our sanctification works best when we are together living out our lives. This is the work that he has done in bringing us together. And so I want to I think just for a second, how do we do this? How do you and I provoke one another to love and good deeds, to incite one another in that? All right, the first, I'm going to rattle off just a few ways here. I think one of the first ways that we can do that is by example. Just our example that we see from one another as we're living out life together. How many of us can say, that we haven't been inspired by one another's example. I can think of countless times where I have stood in here and worshiped, and I've glanced across the room, and I've seen somebody just entirely focused on the Lord. And I can think about how that has encouraged me to set my attention totally on Him. And I can think about times where I've heard some of you talk about how you've been memorizing the Word, and how that has encouraged me and say, I need to be doing that more. Or how I've seen some of you just give, just sacrificially to help someone else out. And that's, I look at that and say, I need to be doing that more. How many of us can say we haven't been encouraged in that kind of way by looking at the example of the other believers around us? That's intentional. God has brought us together as a faith family so that we'll see one another and that we'll be encouraged by that and we'll go out and live more and more for the glory of Christ. So I think one way that we stimulate one another to, to love and good deeds is just by our examples. But I think another way 
is by what the writer mentions in, in verse 25, and that's to encourage one another. You know, whenever we hear the word encourage, we typically think of something like a pat on the back. You know, good job. You did great in that. Good job. You know, it's a great game. You know, we typically think of that as encouragement, but the writer here is getting at something a little bit different. It's more the idea of exhort or to encourage someone to do something. It's a word that Paul uses over and over. He says that in 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, I exhort you, I encourage you, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, now I exhort you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. There, there's a picture here that I don't want us to miss. This, this word, uh, encourage, exhort, it, it's the combination of two Greek words. It means to call alongside. And, and so literally, what the writer is saying is this picture of coming alongside someone to encourage someone in their growth in Christ. This is what we are to be as a faith family. We come alongside one another and provoke, incite one another to growth and love, growth and good deeds and following after Christ. But I, I think that we would miss a little bit of this picture here if we didn't mention the last thing. Because I think that one thing it means that if we or to encourage one another, I think that it has to include sometimes the idea of, of rebuke or reproof or correction. Because if we truly love one another in Christ and we see a brother or sister going errant, then it's our job as a member of the family to pursue that person, right? If you had someone in your family, a brother, a sister, son or daughter, that pulled away from your family and just running headlong into trouble, would you just let them go? Absolutely not. If that was your son or daughter, you would run after them, chasing after them, saying, come back. Let me help you. I, you don't go this way. It's the same in the body of Christ. If God has brought us together in a faith family, he has brought us together for our sanctification. And sometimes, sometimes that's going to mean a gentle, loving rebuke. You've had that happen in your families, right? How many of you all have never had any word of correction in your family? If you raise your hand, you're lying. Because if it happens, you know, with kids, with husbands, wives, brothers or sisters. It happens. The church is no different. Everything's not going to be perfect. We're still fallen humans. We still get grumpy toward one another. I can't believe she did that. I can't believe that. Todd, oh gosh. You know, whatever it might be. We still struggle in relationships because we're still fallen human beings. Is there not times where we need to go to someone and say, you know, I love you, but I'm a little concerned about what I see here. Is everything okay? That's being a family. Don't we need that in our body? Personally, I don't, I don't want you to see me doing something wrong, failing in my following after Christ, and you to do nothing about it. If you see me going in some kind of error where I'm not leading my family right, I'm not following after Christ right, I want you to come to me and say, Scott, I love you, 
you are my brother in Christ. Because of that, here's, here's something I see that I'm just concerned about. And I, I want to be free for us to do that for one another. Because if we're family, sometimes, sometimes we need that. You know, it is, it is an amazing thing what God has done in bringing us together as a family. You know, when, when I think about Grace Baptist Church, I have never experienced a faith family like this. I have never experienced anything where a church body loves each other and cares for each other like here. I know some, some of you all are new. You're new to grace. You know, I've, been, I've been here from the beginning, and I have never experienced anything like the love and the sense of family that's here. That's an amazing work of God, how I've seen that. But I think that as true as that is, we need to be reminded of these words in Hebrews. We'll never be a perfect faith family. It's something that we have to keep working at day after day after day, just like in our own families. And so I know right now there may be some of you here who are members at Grace, but you can look at yourself and say, I'm not assembling myself together like I should be. I'm I'm that one who just every once in a while shows up at worship, and it's not really a priority. Or I'm, I'm that one that, that's here, but I, I'm, I never spend any time with anybody outside of this place. Then I want to encourage you. Be meaningfully engaged in one another's lives. Spend time together outside of these walls. Make sure that you are here at these walls when we have worship. Be interacting in one another's lives. If you're not part of a small group where you can be engaged in a small group of study, Sunday school, get involved in one. It's a great opportunity to have this intimate fellowship with one another. Some of you are new to grace. You're just visiting. This is your first, second, third time. You've been coming for a couple months. I want you to understand a little bit about who we are as a body. This isn't a place to come, join, and only show up whenever you feel like it. This is the body of Christ. This is a faith family. We're going to gather together, and we're going to love one another, and we're going to encourage each other. We're going to exhort one another day by day by day. And so this, if you're looking at grace, I want to tell you this is a family that we are a part of, and we're going to love each other and carry out the responsibilities of family to one another. We're not just going to say, hey, glad you remember, and then never talk to, to you again. We want to be the family that God's called us to be. What a privilege. What a privilege it is for me and you to be brought together by God and for him to say, brothers and sisters is what you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're part of a family here. What a privilege. Let's pray to our Lord. God, we are thankful that you have brought us together. 
God, thankful that you have made us your sons and daughters. God, we do not deserve that, but it is totally of your grace. God, help us to live out the truth of what it means to be a faith family, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. God, may you do a work in us to help us even grow in our understanding of what it means to be brought together into this family. God, take our lives now. As you have brought us together as a family, use us as a corporate family and use us individually for your purposes and your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.